Hello, welcome to Malik to the Stars. You're already laughing. Part two. <laughs> Part two. And we're on. We're recording. This thing's on. All right, yeah. we're on. Uh, welcome back to the podcast that looks to the stars abroad in Hollywood and above in the night sky. My name's Jeremy. I'm also Jeremy. And Mishy, who's also <laughs> Jeremy, <laughs> does the astrological part of our astrological readings of uh, many, many talents in Hollywood and abroad and an indie film and whoever we want to cover. We're about to cover a superstar, rock star, pop star next month. Uh, so couldn't be more yeah. different than than Malik, honestly. Of course, we're taking up Terrence Malik. Again. We're looking at his films mm-hmm. uh, from from 1998 to 2011. The mid Malik, the mid years after he like went away for a long time and then came back. And this is his puberty phase. All right, this is adolescence. This is his third, fourth, fifth film, middle yeah. career. Yeah, after he well, and we'll get into that. You know, we we took a little bit of time off between these episodes, and he took a lot of time off between his episodes so in just, filmmaking. Just so. to go back real quickly, uh, last episode, I was going to say last week, but that's not accurate. Last but like episode, basically, we don't like know when you're listening to this. I hope you're binging these. Oh, we had oh, to like, <laughs> yet last hour. We had to like binge watch the last couple Malik movies because we were a bit behind, but it's totally okay. Um, last week, last episode, we talked about I love that. Badlands <laughs> and Days of Heaven. And then, obviously, Malik uh, takes a little, little nappy poo. 1973 to 1978, Malik gets a little cranky, little actually, cranky like literally in the film industry. And he got he has blank checks at Paramount. He does whatever he wants to do. He's working on a project called Q that he eventually turns into Tree of Life, and we'll mm-hmm. get to that. Um, but he just scraps it all. Uh, there's rumors abound in terms of what actually happened to him. Again, don't want to spoil the script. This episode is written and scripted out yet again. However, we definitely did uh, rush it a little bit. Um, uh, yeah. And yeah, we just uh, finished New World yesterday, though that's not mandatory, necessary viewing for this episode. Uh, if you are watching along with us, which, you know, gold medal for you, gold star. But uh, what are we covering actually post hiatus? Right. So he comes back to Hollywood after going God knows where to the cosmos of his mind. To Texas. And he, he's, in, he's in the Badlands. So he's back in Badlands. <laughs> And he comes back with The Thin Red Line, 1998, star-studded, Chef's Kiss. Just like you watch it and you go, oh, another one, oh, another one, oh, another one. It's full of goodies. I don't know what you mean by that. Like stars, like stars. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, spoiler alert. George Clooney shows up for 30 seconds. Yeah, like, No, like, he's there for 30 seconds, and it's the last minute of the movie, And John Travolta's there for 30 seconds, and then he goes away. Oh, we'll get that. I don't know if you've read the script, but we'll get that. Okay, anyway. He goes away. But that's all part of it. Uh, You know, it's it's because Malik, if if we were sort of alluding to at the end of last uh, week's, (laughs) I'm just going to keep saying last week, last episode. Those are all very contained, grounded movies that focus on one single guy struggling through the grind of work and life and, and just, you know, want to make a break for himself, either through Soon. crime <laughs> or, uh, you know, well, through crime for, for most through of crime. them. And yeah, with, with, with these, he doesn't really, he excises a lot of the character focus. He doesn't really care anymore. He looks to even broader myths and events and epics, right? Oh, world War II, epic. Pocahontas, which is uh, the new world, and um, all of existence in the Tree of Life. So and those, those are the are, three we're talking about, kind he of. He just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. World War II, um, 
people are more familiar with it than maybe mm-hmm. there's no one around right now that would have lived through Virginia in 1607. Okay. No. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He just keeps pushing and pushing back so mm-hmm. that by the end, uh, uh, by, by Tree of Life in 2011, um, his grand opus, his masterpiece, as a lot of people want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, it's certainly a quite a good movie, Chef's Kiss. Quite a good movie. As you've said, there's another one. <laughs> there's another one. There's Except another what one. is it? It's epics of time. It's a dinosaur. It's, yeah. it's and, jellyfish. And so by the time we get it's to- It's Jessica Chastain. <laughs> by the time we get to um, the Tree of Life, I think Tree of Life was the first Malick movie I saw, which I think makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But it's like t- definitive Malick style, like how people know him, how people if it wasn't describe locked, his movies. If it wasn't locked down in uh, Thin Red Line, then it's locked down in Tree of Life because yeah. there is little to no- Grounding, if we can keep saying that, there's little to no containment. It's contained to a little bit of an autobiographical tale of mm-hmm. a family uh, growing up in Waco, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, though he was born in Ottawa, Illinois. Bingo, bingo. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, strap in, everybody. We're going to be taking a look at uh, two of his middle movies. Um, we watched the New World, so like we'll bring it in a little, but I, I'm it's bringing obviously it in like not at all. And like, let's just put this out here because I don't think we've, um, I don't think we've ever done this on the I'm podcast ha- before. I'm but only like, advertising that we right did the two movies. So like, obviously, we know your thoughts on the movies, but like, if we're to rank current Malik, you want to rank about, right yeah, now? Like, what's your rank? Let's rank at the end of the mo- at the episode because otherwise, sure. uh, what are people going to stick around? Well, for? we know the New World's last. <laughs> Interesting. Oh no, we not like we're not talking song to song here. Okay, we're getting off track. Let's all the let's new, go all the new world heads. We just lost them. We just oh, lost just half sh- of our audience right now. All the new worlds. Can we go? New world. Can we take another? Just kidding. Um, yeah, we'll come back to that at the end. Um, I think I know what your rating would be. But anyway, because you got the lifers, you got the thinners, and you got the world worldsies. Okay, world Pocahontas, Pocahontas. This is oh. not an explicit. Pocahontas. That's <laughs> what I'm what saying. The Pocahontas. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, reel it back in. Uh, <laughs> let's cut to ourselves as usual. As I'm always going to forget, Sarah Helm. Yes. Did, does, is still doing the artwork. It hasn't. It's done. She, she did it and it's amazing. We keep reiterating it it's in fun great. ways. And uh, Jacob Anstey, of course, did the, the music. Thank you to, to both of you. Uh, that's us for this intro. Jesus Christ. <laughs> let's uh, uh, let's jump into the content. Bye. So as we were saying, while the time between our episodes spanned a mere two weeks, Malik's break between filmmaking, his creative output between Days of Heaven and The Thin Red Line, lasted a whole 20 years. We flew by this in part one, so to provide some context, he absolutely disappeared from not only Hollywood, but also his life as he knew it after a couple um, years after Days of Heaven released in 1978. After the tumultuous productions of Badlands and Days of Heaven became legend and lore, parentheses, majority of the crew turned over three times during Badlands' 10-month-long shoot, which explains the three cinematographers uh, that worked on the film, and it's reported that everyone just left Malik alone to keep shooting after filming wrapped because he just wouldn't stop. Uh, one can presume it's all those nature inserts he's obsessed with. Uh, a special effects artist was severely burned because of a mistake during the house burning scene. Malik knocked out just a producer during a physical altercation that's on hilarious. set. And that's just Badlands. Uh, the reports of Heaven's shoot can be summed up in one word, mutiny. Oh. Which 
Bad Boy Malik. Which kind of explains the first uh, act of New World. So it's like, that's yeah. all also autobiographical. Consider, you know what? Malik's the, Malik's the filmmaking equivalent of John Smith, all right? And John Smith's the Virginia, we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Um, Good analogy. Malik became something of a Hollywood Bigfoot. Rumored sightings in Paris, California, and back in Texas. More rumors abound working as an uncredited script doctor, trying to cut the cheese back together to pay some mm. rent or whatever. Um, and then... John Travolta claims Malik had originally hired him in Richard Gere's role for Days of Heaven, but Travolta couldn't do it. Now, this is true that he likely did hire him and, and he also couldn't Would do it. Would have been so funny and, and then, so different. Apparently, Travolta is convinced it broke his heart and he never wanted to do a movie again. He like holds it to this day and apparently he just kept asking Terry, everyone calls Malik Terry, kept asking Terry if this, if this is really the reason why you're not making another movie. Yes, just of course. Yes. Uh, okay. So, of course, everyone remembers when Malik finally got Travolta into one of his movies. I mean, how memorable is he in Thin Red Line? It's insane. Like, he's wasted you're in Thin Red Line. You're taken aback when he pops up. Well, it's not. You're taken aback by everyone. You're like, wow, Nick Nolte. And then it's like, all right, John. All right, John. Let's recreate the magic that didn't happen in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> These production tales, coupled with the unheard of, still to this day, I think, 20-year filmmaking hiatus taken by the young auteur at the time. Uh, Otor, rather. Cast Malik as a misunderstood, uncompromising genius. The big starry Vanity Fair article written prior to Malik's return to filmmaking and to Hollywood was titled The Runaway Genius and only fanned the flames, fueling the director's enigmatic status as we were left to wonder what the hell he did the whole time and why the hell had he even returned. Sadly, uh, we nor Malik have answers to those big questions. Instead, Malik dwells on much simpler affairs like consciousness, memory, violence, war, men, women, nation states, existence, being, and I think most acutely, love. The the series in his filmography, Johnny Marr, anyone? <laughs> the Thin Red Line, The Thin Red Line, The New World, The Tree of Life, all share love as a through line bridging the character's uh, preoccupations and motivations. For a super quick rundown, The Thin Red Line is a World War II epic depicting the Battle of Mount Austin, which is part of the Guadalcanal campaign, part of the Pacific War. A lot of geographical context. I have no idea about it. Uh, this being a Malick flick, the violence is messy, like in his prior two, uh, and alarming. Wandering cinematography flies above these lost, wounded soldiers in despair, uh, accompanied by contemplative whispered voiceovers detached from the reality they're suffering through. The New World is the story of Pocahontas. We're not really covering it, even though you said that. So, worldsies, <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep, yeah. you want to hear our ranking that it's going to be last? <laughs> Stick to it, all right? <laughs> Let's move on. The Tree of Life is deemed Malik's grand opus, masterpiece, as I said, everything he has been building towards in his career and his most personal film, likely the closest to an autobiography. Oh, fuck. Autobi autobiography. Likely, <laughs> likely the closest to an autobiography as we're going to get from him, even though the first act detours into the creation of the universe. From the Big Bang to Waco, Texas, Malik proposes nature and grace are two opposing cosmic forces that have endured across time and space, essentially embodied in his brute, disciplined, loveless father, nature, and his beautiful, loving mother, Grace. These ideas are fluid, and it's impossible to summarize or explain without seeing them, so try to go watch these movies. Absolutely. Okay. Agree. A little bit of astro here? Oh, Pass it yes. To you. Let's get into it. So Stretch. I'm not going to... Do your stretches <laughs> if you need to. Ah, already. 
to save us a, a buttload of time, I'm not going to get into anything we went over last episode. But Woody Harrelson's butt that he uh, blows off time. <laughs> Sorry. I blew so, my butt off. <laughs> it's so bad. I, I was mostly sad about that because I just didn't want to see Woody go so early. Anyway. He has nothing to do besides. Okay, I just want to look into those deep blue eyes. I just want to look into those natural butt killers. Oh, goodness. Um. Anyway, so. Basically, with these movies, I think a lot of the astrology we talked about last episode is really being built on, but I'm not going to go over that in a lot of detail to save us some time. Just going to go with kind of what we see coming up thematically in the movies that we're talking about today. To start, I want to bring up this quote because I think if you're looking for an easy way to summarize Malick's films, this is it. It's even um, referenced in Wikipedia, so you know it's uh, what the people want, right? Oh, you don't like Wikipedia. Sorry, that's fine. You know to never bring up Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, in his book on Matt Malik, fittingly titled Terrence Malik, no thank way. you, uh, Lloyd Michael says the following Malik seems a stubbornly romantic artist in depicting the isolated individual's desire for transcendence amidst uh, established social institutions, the grandeur and untouched beauty of nature. The competing claims of instinct versus reason, yellow, and the lure of the open road. So, did you write that? <laughs> oh, I'm the film expert here. Sorry, continue. no. Uh, so, thanks, Lloyd, for inspiring the theme of our last episode where we talked about the relationship between instinct versus reason in Badlands and Days of Heaven. Um, definitely relevant, I think, in these works as well. Looking at the three films that we're digging into today, I really want to talk about the placement in Malik's chart that is. Venus in Libra conjunct Neptune by sign. So Venus. Venus is the planet of love and romance. As you said, that's a big theme that's coming up today uh, in what we watched. Uh, It rules relationships, art, culture, etc. As the ruler of Libra, Venus's placement is in Libra, like really exemplifies the uh, above qualities and presents them in a really positive way. Given that Libra is a cardinal and an air sign, this placement also boasts honesty, fairness, cooperation, balance, and hard work in a very like lovely and aesthetic way. It's all about the aesthetics, I think. Now, the first aesthetic YouTuber, it just rolls off the tongue. Defines the like cinematic aesthetic, you know what I mean? Um, So it makes sense that one of the most notable things about Malik's, you know, current work is how visually captivating and like serene they are with all the nature shots. It's like, they're beautiful. On the other hand, we have Neptune, and Neptune is a planet that's the modern ruler of Pisces, which is a mutable water sign, and it's the last sign in the zodiac wheel. So as an aside, the traditional ruler of Pisces is Jupiter, um, so it's easy to understand how and why the planets Jupiter and Neptune share some similarities, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, But I remember talking about this a while ago on the podcast, but the word I think that best describes the sign Pisces and its ruler Neptune is transcendent. Neptune is associated with dreams, spirituality, evolution, illusion, and even enlightenment. So the first like 40 minutes of the tree of life, which you had joked that like we can just talk through it because it's all just like beautiful montage. Yeah, it's a National Geographic. Uh, yeah, it's like fluid, whimsical. It's all the instrumental orchestration. It like takes us back, as you said, to the Big Bang, the evolution of dinosaurs, the creation of man, etc. So that to me is so... Neptune in Libra. of human. Human. Thank you very much. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, sorry. God is a woman. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Uh, human, 
scratch that on the record. So there's a recent astrology podcast where host Chris Brennan, I stand by the way, mm-hmm. is talking to the incredible astrologer, uh, Laura Nalbandian about Neptune and its signification. So I listened to that episode when prepping for this episode and thought it was so relevant to what we watched and what we'd be talking about. In the episode, uh, Laura and Chris were talking about how since Saturn is the last visible planet uh, with the naked eye and Jupiter before that, that marks the limit of our consciousness as we perceive it and our known reality. Beyond that lies the modern planets, which are Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. These planets signify the unknown, transcending the limits of our known reality and even eroding the falseness of one's perceptions of reality. With Jupiter, Laura talked about the idea of religion, truth, belief as something that we can um, or can be witnessed. Neptune, on the other hand, is something that cannot be witnessed by the naked eye. So instead of belief related uh, this planet to the idea of faith. Laura and Chris both explained it much better than I would. So I recommend listening to it if you're like interested in that, but maybe you're just here for the film. So you don't want to do that. Um, So why am I rambling on about all of this? Last week, we dug into the polarity of Sagittarius versus Gemini of knowledge, learning, and that relationship of instinct versus reason. We related Sagittarius to philosophy, religion, higher learning, long distance travel from Illinois to Texas, perhaps. Uh, The planet- From (laughs) Illinois to Texas. (laughs) I know, it could be a song that we could uh, make up. Oh, like, uh, no, this is an aside that's not going to work. Never mind. The planet Jupiter. (laughs) I was going to talk about- uh, Johnny Morgan? No, no, no. The like end of, oh my God, forgetting his brother's name, Jeff Nichols' brother with the like songs that are related to all his movies. Okay, that was going to be the joke. Tree of Life. I just took a real big aside. Okay. But what were we watching? I was watching something. I was watching The Walking Dead and uh, friggin' Ben Nichols, his brother. Yeah. Yeah. Pops yeah, yeah. up and it was so like they're like burning down a cabin. Like, yeah. Love it. So I'm saying we should like, it should be the end of Malik's Yeah. Movies, when but. I think of Malik, the first genre I think of is Chin Rock. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. All right. Continue. Um, the planet. No, you continue. <laughs> so long distance travel uh, and we're bringing it back. The planet Jupiter, which is the ruler of Sagittarius, exemplifies like luck expansion abundance. Um, I see Neptune as taking all of that a step further, which is why I kind of linked them previously. And it's breaking free from some of Jupiter's containment. So going beyond religion, aka what exists in one's reality towards spirituality, from long distance travel to literally traveling beyond our contained world (laughs) to like the rest of the universe, uh, from philosophizing to dreaming. So Neptune transcends. And I think that these three movies, uh, you know, that we're talking about today do a really good job of exemplifying both Jupiterian and Neptunian qualities in Malik's chart. Still, should I take a break? Do you want to kick it back or should I keep going? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Uh, Let me scroll up. It's not that much longer. I swear. I got all day. Okay, love it. I got all day. So, uh, not that I'm well versed oh, in... You're, oh, I thought I was going. Oh, I thought I was going. <laughs> you go. Oh. No, you go. Oh, God. I'm gonna... No, you go. Okay. This might be like... A, you can chop it as you see fit. Go for it. Okay. And now, not that I'm really well versed in this topic, and it'd be a, an interesting one to dive into as like an independent study, but let's uh, look at the tree of life itself. Not the movie, but the concept, so... Another Wikipedia quote in going. (laughs) The tree of life is a fundamental archetype in many of the world's mythologies, religious, and philosophical traditions. It's closely related to the concept of the sacred tree. The tree of knowledge connecting uh, to heaven and the underworld and the tree of life connecting all forms of creation are both forms 
uh, of the world tree or cosmic tree and are portrayed in various religions and philosophies as the same tree. So the tree of life is a religious concept, Jupiterian or Sagittarius in nature there. However, it transcends just one single religion. It connects all forms of creation. So Neptunian in that case. I'll honestly leave it there because I'm, as I said, I'm not well versed, but uh, you know, um, a lot of that canon will be linked to Malik's films. I'll let you go on with your themes first and then I'll bring it back to how that ties in uh, from the themes I saw upon viewing. Yeah, I'm gonna just hop on a quick one and then I have more, um, they're not, uh, themes, they're just uh, visual motifs. Ideas, concepts, to... big picture. <laughs> big picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I'll, you know, I'll just touch on a little bit and then I'll throw it back to you and we'll be good. It's a mood. Malik's all about the moods. No, this podcast is about movies. <laughs> Sorry, are we, uh, are we, are we on right now? Is this thing on? Sorry, so you rank New World last. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go back to love. As I was saying, right? I, I said there's a bit of a through line for these movies. And I think even for his earlier movies, too. The Thin Red Line opens with two defected soldiers, one being the lead protagonist, Wit, living carefree on an isolated island in the South Pacific. There's some cutaways to a specific uh, native woman, and we can assume they're bonding and getting to know each other. They have a conversation in the first um, you know, 10 minutes as well. This whole small sequence repeats as a shorthand motif across the film, typically spiced in uh, typically spiced in during Spicy. moments of battle or exhausted reprieve for why America army war are destructive and bad, you know, sort of. I'll, I'll be getting to it more, uh, again, specifically when I talk about my visual motifs, but just as a through line for love, you know, that's, that's that. Um, and just to touch on it in the new world, it's just this ad nauseum romanticizing the world's first international love story. It is so much that of wanting to get to another world and transcend upon a transcend from this sort of like awful state of nature and war and violence and you know going back to something that's more simple and everything like that that's the new world for sure for sure literally in a voiceover calls pocahontas my america so let's blow that up you know know, you had to pause when that happened i was peeking so uh anyway in the Tree of Life, refer to take Grace as Jessica Chastain's motherly figure. Her caring, sincere love grounds us to the family unit and the three sons um, and fills a hole that Brad Pitt's father figure digs unwittingly for the O'Briens. Additionally, Pitt is seen repeatedly forcing loving gestures onto his children, asking them to kiss him on the cheek, tussling their hair a little too roughly, wrangling them back in for another hug, you know, asking them, you know, give your father a kiss. He asks that like 10 times. <laughs> I don't think my dad says that like once. And I like, know, I know. <laughs> these moments are played sincerely, uh, but likely read from the audience is insincere. And as he tries to, uh, he tries too hard to reconcile the loveless atmosphere haunting their domestic space. It wasn't always like this, but ever since Pitt's character forced himself to grind away in a factory job uh, and gave up pursuing his creative passion, specifically music, Mr. O'Brien, because they are the O'Brien family and, uh, given the mythic qualities that you want for parenthood and children, you know, revering the, the, the reverence that you have for your parent. You know, um, I know you call your parents by their first name. I wouldn't <laughs> dream of it. Uh, and I don't think a lot of other people do, but it's Mr. O'Brien and Mrs. O'Brien. They don't actually have names, Jessica Chastain and Brad Pitt's characters. So Mr. O'Brien gives all he can to the job for the purpose of providing for his family, but then doesn't have anything left by the time he steps through the door. Um, 
Zooming out from the O'Briens, we see the same persistent resentment for the grind of work in Badlands and explicitly in Days of Heaven, if you can recall Richard Gere's speech about getting the big score and basically not working for the man, you know, hoping that he'll eventually surpass that. Again, what fuels and frames Bill's desire to provide or at least stick with the grind for most of the movie uh, is his love for Abby. Transpose this for the Thin Red Line, Wit is introduced as a deserter, similarly resentful of his forced duty toward an indifferent authority. Uh, you know, think of the machine of capital, the machine of war, and the machine of manifest destiny for John Smith and world. He's about to be hung because of, you know, treasonous remarks he, get, he made against the state of England, against the king, right? These are people that are deserters. <laughs> they abandon their posts because they know there's a better world for them and for their loved ones out there. Um, for John Smith, he's about to find the love of his life. Wait. Door number one. I think that's it. Is that oh, a Shrek callback? Like Princess Fiona behind door number three what is or it? something? Door number two, sir. <laughs> like, what's that? What's that? I don't know. We're going to splice that On in there right now. Okay, as a sidebar, I lied, I think, when I said Malik doesn't answer anything uh, in terms of questions he poses. He actually might answer a question he poses at the top of Thin Red Line in The Tree of Life. The war epic opens on an alligator slowly sinking into an, an, an uh, offensive position to attack, you know, in swamp water, let's say, readying for a hunt. Uh, the same as the Americans will assume positions, uh, you know, military positions in their hunt for the Japanese soldiers, which is actually subtly echoed and reversed when we witness American soldiers tying up or having tied up an alligator in the same uh, marshland environment. So we humans are staged as the most dangerous predator in this environment, trying to always conquer, colonize nature. During the subsequent intro montage establishing the film's natural settings, the voiceover ponders. <clears throat> Can I get a little bit of uh, <clears throat> music? Just a little bit of music. Just a little. What's this war in the heart of nature? What's this war in the heart keep of on, nature? Keep on, keep on. Why does nature vie with itself? Why does nature vie with itself? The land itself? contend with the sea. The land contend with the sea. Is there an avenging power in nature? Not one power, but two? <laughs> I should have listened to the score before that. Yay. Banana. Vampire Weekend thing? Oh, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> you got it. You do the third on top of it. I can't do it. <laughs> We've just lost everyone. The worldsies, the lifers, the, the, the liners, the thinners. <laughs> the redder. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. Okay, what's this war in the heart of nature? Why does nature vie with itself? The land contend with the sea. Is there an avenging power in nature? Not one power, but two? Could this By be two? Could this be the nature and grace duality posed in the thin red tree of life? Mm -hmm. Is grace the avenger to nature's war? Seriously, we're, we're, we're introduced to the Melanesian people as he's on this island. Uh, as this last question is asked, uh, so it cuts to children playing, mm -hmm. you know, the the indigenous population on the island, um, when it talks about not one power, but two. So maybe, you know, it suggests they inhabit a better way of life than the military industrial complex the West and East at this point have wrapped themselves up in. A people living in and with nature, not against or in spite of it. Grace, the easily perceived superior form of living. I'll throw it back to you for a little bit. Oh, I liked that. That I'll was really nice. I'll leave it on that. Awesome. 
Don't know how I'm going to live I'll throw it in there too. And you'll see I have perfect pitch. Can't wait. Um, Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, I don't want to get, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get too, uh, too far off your train of thought. Um, you're obviously the film person in this relationship because I watch movies and I don't, you know, I'm not the one who picks out all the good motifs and such. I just fast forward through this part. (laughs) You do. You're good. Let's just pat each other on the back here. (laughs) All right. Everyone give Michelle a round of applause. Um, No. What do you got? Well, first, I really like, um, you know, the nature versus grace relationship because I think the through line through the three films, it just shows how um, things are getting broader and broader and broader in scope. And I'll talk about that in a little as and well. a bit simpler, even as he like, as he zooms out, he, he gives us, a, he throws us a line in the well, first two minutes of Tree of Life. Again, sure. his sort of like most autobiographical one. He goes, mm-hmm. this is kind of what I've been trying to say the whole time. For sure. So and, let me just say it. And getting right? grander and broader in scope doesn't necessarily mean more complex. It means it's kind of like removing the, um, emphasis on the individual and it's kind of. And removing the, the artificiality plot. of a plot. Exactly. Sort of saying like, this is the, these are the stories that we create ourselves. This is my story, whatever. Absolutely. Anyway. So going back to kind of the placement that I, you know, pretty much have focused on. And I think it's like, I'm like so solely thinking of the tree of life sometimes because it's just such a mood, but I have to remember that we watch more, (laughs) much more than just that. So here's kind of where I saw those themes and um, feelings exemplified through the film. So First, most notably, something that starts with, um, honestly, older Malik, but really with the thin red line and then just gets progressively more and more like apparent. So it's the poetic, whimsical monologue style of writing that Malik starts to, you know, play around with in the thin red line. It's the monologue. Can inter- I sub in whimsical for romantic? Yes, of course. Because I think there's no whimsy. There's some... They're not really whimsical. They do seem like fantasy, though. For sure. I know what you're I'll saying. check the, the source next time. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying, yeah. But the Thin Red Line still has, it's it's starting to do that a lot more, but there's it's still really dialogue heavy. Um, well, I wouldn't it's say plot heavy, heavy. It's plot to, heavy, though. There's yeah. action in it. You know, they we know what they're trying to achieve. The New World. Absolutely. Kind of part of the plot. We don't know what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. For sure. And in content, it is quite like philosophical, broader picture. It's, you know, a film about war, but it's like starting off with some bigger picture quotes about nature. Um, so it's. It's hardly a film. No, never mind. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it surrounds war, but it's about everything. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So in that case, both Jupiterian and Neptunian in nature, Jupiterian in like the um, ideas that are being presented, but yeah. Neptunian in like the style it's being done in. Yeah. Cool. So in the thin red line, as we kind of both been, there, it's like an ensemble cast. There's no one main character and that's not really the point. Um, I've seen an argument by some people that Malik's characters lack any sort of depth. Um, he does have a on Capricorn purpose. moon, on but purpose. again, I think that's not, um, it shouldn't be taken as a slight on his filmmaking because it kind of serves the, the, the story as a whole. Remember just to shoot back, remember Kit, Martin Sheen's character from of Badlands, course. he has no interiority. He has no depth. Mm-hmm. It's because he's got the short end of the stick. He says that in, uh, one of his last interviews, mm-hmm. Malik explicitly says that, you know, that kind of misfortune in life can provide you with a shallowness. Mm-hmm. And so I think you can directly transpose that onto the soldiers here. Fully. You know? So with that kind of Neptunian trend that we're on, again, we're going beyond one's individual reality towards 
you know, a more spiritual idea of the collective whole. Um, You kind of were like, this is not saving private Ryan. Um, And I think that's really true because it's like, I mean, you said what war event it was, but honestly, if you had asked me at any point during that movie, I would have no frigging idea where it was taking place, when it was taking place, who it's involving other than the Americans versus the Japanese. Um, That's pretty much it. You don't really get names. You you don't know who these people are past like what you're seeing on screen. There's no backstory. If you're paying attention, you pick up the names, but they often will just bring up a name and you go, oh, that's Adrian Brody's yeah, character's yeah, yeah. name. And Fully. then I don't even remember it. You know Fully. what I mean? Like I had to, I had to look up all of these characters' names mm-hmm. on Google. Fully, after. and you're going to so, help me out here. The but the one character where it's going with the flashbacks to the- like, To his boo? Yeah. Bell. Okay, so- Private Bell, Bell or something. It's like, you're getting a bit of backstory there, but again, it's like fleeting. It's just like these images. You don't- really get it's a very just subjective memory who exactly. knows if they even happened if it's just sort of selective memory uh, mm-hmm. subjective whatever and um you know maybe he wishes that happens whatever for sure so badlands and days of heaven uh were almost like contained compared to what you are lovingly referring said, yeah. to as the 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 movies <laughs> it's gonna be a no, tongue the, twister the moods. It's, it's the moods <laughs> i think those prior movies were really um exemplified those key Sagittarius themes in his birth chart with the long distance travel from Illinois to Texas. And that's um, what kind of defined those landscapes and just led the stories, that idea of long distance travel. But in the movies that we're talking about today, we're seeing so far beyond any characters, like immediate environment, even through those insert shots that you said Malik, like, couldn't quit with days of heaven like those inserts. badlands exactly yeah. like I well think, with all of them with all of them and i think he's taking that to like another level in these movies where it's not necessarily inserts that are like connected to the scene anymore it's just like oh so here's some more birds here's some more water here's a here's another shot here's a here's another nug uh Gimme. he he shot 1.1 million feet of film for the yeah Thunderbond. okay and so with that it's like the scope is like getting so much bigger. It's going beyond that containment. So from Jupiter to Neptune, yeah. it's like a three kind of hour American war epic, a yeah. historical drama that's like, like you said, no one was alive in the 1600s. Um, a movie that's literally about the universe. So again, we go from like um, a Bonnie and Clyde type escapade to like, why are people here? Yeah, lovers on the lamb to... Uh... I don't know. Is there a dinosaur that starts with L? <laughs> I know. Basically, Malik's out of Texas and he's like getting comfortable with that. He's yeah. Like, yes, for sure. Right. In the tree of life, um, God is referenced countless times. However, like obviously no religion is ever specified and no more detail is ever given. So like very Libra-like, I think Malik is here taking like an unbiased position of an observer who's just here to present the information as is and you know, spread these ideas, but not taking a stance on it. Kind of like a child. And we're supposed to inhabit Jack, who is that cipher for Malik's upbringing in Waco, Texas, as this takes place in Waco, Texas, et cetera, et cetera. For sure. And so with that, you know, it starts um, with a quote from the Bible uh, in Job. Mm -hmm. I'm not very familiar with that. The Bible. Whoops. Um, But absolutely that being the tree of life, mm-hmm. you know, as you're saying, it shows up in a lot of And again, that's religions. like a, a very Neptunian thing too, is like childhood memories. Yeah. Um, I'll let you take the water thing because I know that's one of your Spoiler. motifs. Um, but all I wanted to say before <laughs> you say that is it does connect here too. Like Malik's chart may not have any water in it or a lot of water. I actually forget. I think it's no water. Regardless, like Neptunian is very watery in nature. 
it's the, again, modern ruler of Pisces, which is a water sign. So it's free flowing. It's uncontained. And it's just like, is it unhinged? It's unhinged. And it's abundant. The reason I'm going so hard on like Neptune in Libra and Venus in Libra is because it's like, again, it's just the most aesthetic, like, Again, not so focused on plot, but just like an overall mood thing and a theme and a and a feeling that like you can't contain either. It's not about the plot. It's just about like the feeling. Man, got feeling. <laughs> so yeah. Neptune and Venus being together in Libra is is really great. So to bring you back really quickly and then I'll kick it back to you because I'm sick of hearing my own voice. Um, you shared a quote near the beginning of last episode by Roger, e- by Roger Ebert. Uh, when talking about Badlands, he said, human lives diminished between the overarching majesty of the world. Overarching? Overarching. <gasps> Holy moly. Should I do that again? Nah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I can't read. That's exactly what's happening in these movies in the Tree of Life, like specifically. But again, it's like taking it to another level where it's human lives beneath the majesty of the universe. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's beyond the world at this point. Malik's only earth sign placement in is the moon in Capricorn, like I mentioned before. So with that, I think he tends to be disconnected to, not disconnected to nature, but like kind of in an interesting way. Um, so yeah, disconnected may not be the best word. However, there's certainly an overwhelming and really vast quality to the way that nature and the world at large is quite, is like presented. So I think that works because he's not, he's not on the same level as nature. He understands his place in nature and that he's dwarfed by it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to wrap up, love, I know you brought that up earlier. Of course, that's a big presence talking about um, both Venus and Neptune in Libra. There are, it's like, it's also a good thing to note that there are no signs in Aries. And that's a good thing for Libra in this case, or the planets in Libra, because it means that there's no opposition that's being created. There's no strong, like, disharmony that would be created through something being in Aries. There's also nothing in cancer that would lead to a square. These are like the tough aspects. Square is 90 degrees uh, and opposition is 180. Right. Only the moon in Capricorn is creating a, a sign-based square with what is in um, Libra. I won't get too into it because we don't have a, a specific birth time. But again, that could be like the father elements that come in, like a tough relationship with the father or the lack of like um, emotional character depth and things like that. But overall, based on Malik's movies, Venus... Uh, Neptune in Libra, the beauty, the majesty, the romanticism, love is like huge. And I think it's such a defining feature of his movies. Back to you. And a defining feature of like our journey with these movies, we've fully, um, I've, as we do with a lot. Yeah. I never really want to, um, I don't get sick of the directors once we focus on them. I only want to watch more of their movies or I want to revisit them. Uh, and Malik is such a big Rubik's cube Mm -hmm. for, Anyone who's interested in experimental film mm-hmm. that, uh, yeah, you know, I've only uh, really watched his movies once and coming back to them right now. It sounds like I'm trying to wrap up the friggin' episode, but coming <laughs> back to them right now, you know, that, how about that? That through line. We love, we're loving Malik right now. We're, we're pretty obsessed with him. And, and for Bye. once, actually, uh, as we're sort of, you know, as we all get hopefully a little bit more time in the holidays. Um, we really want to return to his movies on our own time Bully. and the ones that, uh, you know, aren't so, aren't so loved <laughs> by everyone else. And we want to see, we want to dig in and see if there's anything, you know, exciting about them. Fully. And I think it's uh, also important to say not that The Thin Red Line is a movie that's full of lovely imagery or anything like that. It's not a movie about love. Um, 
even the new world isn't, a, I mean, it's a movie about love, but there's a lot of like traumatic things that it's are happening in them. That's but it is every single one exactly, of his movies. Exactly. It's he just packs like, it all in. it's like not complex. It's like big and not complex. It, there's like a simplicity to it, but there's a lot going on still. Anyway. I think a lot of Malick's genius um, can be attributed to finding the right editors. Ooh, you yes. know, and, and yes, yes, yes. you can, you know, uh, I don't know how many people work on Badlands and Days of Heaven. I think it's just Billy Weber, mm-hmm. who's his goat, and he works on every single film still with Malik. But by the time Tree of Life comes around, there's five editors. Uh, Thin Red Line might a have lot. four, and Billy Weber's already uh, four all, to go through million reels, 1.1 million feet of film. Um, yeah, it, and and that's it. So you can really. I want to say he needs an editor and he has an editor. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's part of it. That's the push and pull. He goes as far as he can. He packs it in. But the, I think with the help of the editor and the editing suite, they really hone in on what these movies are and they find that through line for him. They find that, th- that, they find that through red line for him. <laughs> Agree. Good. Sorry, I had a Good stroke there. For a <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to wrap it up. Pretty briefly here, and then we can all go on with our days. Um, and then we can so, all watch song to song. <laughs> also, Christian Bale, Michael Fassbender, Michelle's Christian thinking they're the not same in it. person. It's, Brian it's the same kind of, um, but Michael Fassbender. But Michael Fassbender, I thought was Christian it's, Bale in my memory. You know why? It's I get. I, um, You're outing me as like a film amateur. <laughs> it's probably I'm not. It's probably the facial hair. Because they don't yeah, complete fully. the cheeks. Well, when you're, ta- I watched it so Un- long ago, unlike and it was Woody like, Harrelson, yeah. who really. Completed the cheeks on his. Oh, he certainly did. He, uh, Yellow. <laughs> he died. Have some respect. <laughs> he, Woody's character died in that movie. Have some respect. I know, I know. It's really sad. Anyway, okay. All right. Enough nonsense. Let's, I, I want to raise this uh, really briefly here, and then we're actually going to get into, um, yes, the visual motifs that uh, Michelle has ruined. One of them, not ruined, of course. Uh, water. What? Does water not exist? And birds. If water didn't exist, whew, let me just tell you, Malik. <laughs> uh, okay, so let me raise this here. I think an essential element to the embodiment, thinking about the alligator, as we were talking about before, right? And sort of an embodiment of something and Mr. and Mrs. O'Brien. I think that the embodiment of motifs is such an essential element to Malik's work because it becomes explicit and essential from the Thin Run line and onwards. Uh, maybe more acutely, it's a certain manifestation of themes in to a certain object, uh, one that's explored at length with the new world, uh, since Pocahontas already embodies the duality, conflict, and marriage, again, literally, of England and America, old world, new world, right? So that's just my little bit. I know we are taking up uh, the worldsies here, because it's intriguing to see by his fourth film, he's taking up something that's mythic in scope, and myth is such a big part and manifestation of it, and it's sort of a real-life figure in everyone's childhood, thanks, no thanks, Disney, and everything else, an actual human being that really does embody that kind of thing of colonialism, manifest destiny. Fully. Male domination. I know. And after- all everything like that, cultural domination. All, a lot of negative traits. I'm not saying anything romantically. Um, Malik approaches it really romantically, and that's it. It's the first international love story. I think that's like really how you can sum up the new world in a, in a more objective sense. So mm-hmm. anyway, nature and grace, right? So nature, its violence and contention with itself is assumed by the deadly alligator in the thin line. Um, The predator moving from land to water in its daily war of survival. Grace, 
the indigenous people, both in the Thin Red Line and the New World, who balance as an opposing or avenging force in their survival among the wilderness. Applying that same mode of thinking, the echoed imagery of birds and water manifests repeating motifs such as survival, memory, collectivity, transcendence, faith, and of course, love. To start, the first 10 minutes of The Thin Red Line really convey all that you need. I swear we watched these movies in full, <laughs> but I swear, like, I'm talking about the beginning so much uh, lately with the alligator and everything. So the aforementioned alligator submerges into water to begin its hunt for food, as do the Melanesian people fishing and swimming, both on their own journeys of survival. Our first sight of the native woman Wit draws his attention to is bathing her child with the other women and children uh, in the population, a sign of collectivity. And the film slowly layers Wit's voiceover into a spiritual conversation with another soldier about his mother's death and his reticence to her accepting that finality. Obviously a feeling quite present before moments in war and battle and death. Facing death uh, with dignity. He makes reference to immortality and again pushes back against it, but establishes his mother's faith in the transcendent power of death. Staring into the same body of water he shares with the Melanesians, Wit wonders. Want to give me the music again? Oh, no. I wonder how it'd be when I died. Would it be like to know that this breath now was the last one you was ever going to draw? I just hope I can meet the same way she did, with the same calm. <laughs> I'm just thinking vampire weekend. <laughs> I, I, okay. Uh, I wonder if Grace could sub in for calm. Grace, calm. Mm-hmm. Hello. Talk about uh, some thesaurus. Again, those dueling forces, the natural end of all life met with a resounding faith. Maybe not in an afterlife, but a transcendent quality of lives continuing past death in one's memories. Love that. In another, <laughs> in another collection of past lives from a soldier, Bell's memory, sweet, as we were talking about, contains intimate moments with his boo back home. At one point, he says, we together, one being, flow together like water till I can't tell you from me. I drink you. <gasps> and then it cuts to a bird. Wow. And then it cuts to a bird. Then back to Bell's past lover, maybe wife, you know, bathing. Wit's mother is also connected with the repeated inclusion of birds. Wit speaks on his mother's death with a fellow AWOL soldier who holds a bird in his hand. And as we slowly fade into the memory of Wit's mother on her deathbed, there's two active birds chirping about in a cage that she's kind of reaching towards. And so is Wit's sister. We're not really sure what's going on here, but part of his family. Much later in the film, so we did watch past the first 10 minutes. Much later in the film, Wit is speaking with... uh, Welsh, Sean's pen, Sean Penn's character, after most of the conflict has happened. And the camera trails behind Wit as he paces around an empty house. When the camera pans away from the men for the first time and focuses on an empty birdcage on the porch, Welsh asks, you're still believing in the beautiful light, are you? At which point Wit touches the birdcage, kind of reaching it out to it, just as his mother did before she passed away. We then follow a newly reflective Welsh along the trenches of Charlie Company with presumably Wit continuing to narrate. I'm not going to ask you to do that. No more. No one more. Man, one man looks at a dying bird and thinks there's nothing but unanswered pain. That death's got the final word. It's laughing at him. Another man sees that same bird, feels the glory. This duality tied to the imagery and mention of a bird is manifested in the two men, Welsh, uh, Sean Penn, 
as those who see unanswered pain and wit who feels the glory. This alludes to the sad and shocking insert of a dying baby bird during the battle on the hill. Tying this all together with water, birds, and wit at the film's end, wit's death is punctuated by flashbacks of him swimming in the waters with the native children, having achieved the same calm his mother possessed in death. A grace originating from his mother and learned from the Melanesians. Uh, it spells out this duality a little bit more clearly, explicitly stated in the voiceover. Uh, there are still small moments of motifs building to the same transcendent conclusion with what do you know, Sean Penn again, reconciling yeah, with life Sean. and death uh, by way of someone's mother, this time his own. Mm-hmm. They taught us that no one who loves the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. Cut to a waterfall. This is at the, in the first mm-hmm. two, three minutes of it. Jessica Chastain's character is narrating. At the first mention in the movie of an end, finality, death, a beautiful waterfall is then shown as one's life fluidly passes on to others after death. I like to think of it as spilling onto others, never knowing when death will enter one's life. Bridging this valley of existence, water also gives life in the tree of life. During the evolution montage, the first signs of life develop in water or fluid, whatever it is, you know, cellular organisms, jellyfish, and other sea life. Later in the sequence, the dying dinosaur lays in a riverbed, only to be spared the final kill by another dinosaur who runs off, allowing the dinosaur to take its last breaths in peace. Was so relieved. The, I know, and the, the, the foot really foot clamps ha- down at first, and you're like, oh boy, it's going to start. But then, it's spares too, little, too little. The Lost World, Jurassic Park, more mm. like the New World, okay? <laughs> the life and death, nature and grace dichotomy, playing out in real time in and around water. Another evocative set of shots surrounds Jack's birth. We see a child opening a door while swimming to the service from a submerged bedroom, a teddy bear and bedside table floating behind him. I like to call this bedwomb. <laughs> it's floating up from a bedroom. But it's good. He's being birthed. born in a water-filled room. Shortly after Mrs. O'Brien's in labor, you know, we cut through into the montage of a kid swimming up, Mrs. Mrs. O'Brien's in labor, uh, and gives birth to their first baby boy, presumably Jack. Time again, Malik went... <laughs> this is a dumb sentence. I'm keeping this all in. Time again, Malik wets his beak on uh, water imagery <laughs> to convey water as the essential life source. Absolutely. As for birds, there's one quick shot. I couldn't really find it when I was trying to pick through it all, of a massive formation you're going to have to fight <laughs> with a voiceover calling to maybe Mrs. O'Brien, maybe God, asking, was I false to you? Do you want to give me the music? <laughs> it's not much to go on, but I like to think since Jack struggles at the crossroads of nature and grace between becoming like his father, emulating the self-serving behavior of nature, and fearing he failed his mother as the ultimate spiritual benefactor. Staying true to his mother's guidance Echoed in the first voiceover from Mrs. O'Brien's assertion of I will stay true to you when describing the differences of nature and grace. Caught between worlds, Jack struggles with faith, spirituality, collective spirit, all bound to elements of grace. With the insert of birds, a small branch grows to the first sight of Mrs. O'Brien as a child reaching her hand out to the grazing cows. One for the birds and Malik's far-reaching tree of life. So just a quick thing of truth. And falsehood. Was I false to you? And we're seeing a massive formation of birds. Kind of sounds like Sean Penn's voice. Is he speaking to his mother? Is he speaking to God? You know, the mention of it is kind of one and the same. Mm -hmm. The godly figures of your parents as a child. And 
really, truly, you know, Malik in, in a very Malikian way, Rubik's Cubey way, goes to the origins of his own life. And, and by that, he goes through the origins of all life. You know, he just, the scope of it is insane. The romanticism of it is insane. So truly, you know, I kind of cringe at the word epic. It's used so often. I'm sorry, but Avengers movies just aren't that epic if you think of what Malik's trying to do here. Um, so yeah, very languid, beautiful, floaty cinema that he's created with all three films. Um, and if you check out any of these movies, watch for the water and for the birds, man. Birds specifically in the tree of uh, in the uh, in the third and the line, like that was huge, honestly. And so. ju- just a reminder, we're talking about the man who is, and I said this last time, slated to direct a movie about Jesus Christ. The way of the wind. There you go. The way of the wind. I just looked it up on IMDb and somebody Jesus, like, Jesus and the devil. Jesus and the devil, yeah, because somebody is listed as playing Satan. So there you go. Satan. Satan. If you're a vegan. <laughs> so good. So wow, we covered uh, some ground today. Um, honestly, I think we were a little worried about this episode because it's like, there's something that's like <laughs> two, four, 50 hours. There's something that's like not tangible about these movies that you no. can't like grasp onto it no. and like talk about it in a really concrete way. But I think no. we think we got the points across and I think we did a good job. Now we're going to watch Song Pat to Song. ourselves on the back. Which you haven't seen yet. Why do we? I know. Because uh, it's I'd so rather funny. go to, I'd rather go to, right. Because Why? it's like, because it's like Tree of Life vibes, but like, it's like a, about a bunch of rock stars. It's like weird and random. The worst. I know. Anyway, so rank. How would you rank? Oh, good yeah. idea. Do you have one first? This is kind of hard. Oh, honestly, um, the Thin Red Line is like really hard to watch. And I think because of that, I'd say I like What's Tree your of five? Life. What's your five? So oh, five, that I've number, seen? number five, let's go reverse loving order. Okay, wait, how Ooh. about you do this first because you've seen more of his movies? I think, but I'm not doing all of his movies. We're just doing the five. Oh, okay. Then I got this. Right? I got this. Okay. Yeah, 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 ready? Yeah. We're not going to throw in a hidden life or anything. I, okay. I really like that movie. So that's a bummer. <laughs> I think it's like either tree of life or badlands first. And I think let's just put badlands. Cause I love sissy. Perfect. Then the tree of life. For the viewer at home, she's flipping me off. Cause uh, she's, <laughs> she switched two and one, here. by the way. Okay. Okay. So we have badlands. Number one. Tree of life. Number two. Thin red line. Number three. Really? Yeah. Um, shit. New world, days of heaven. <laughs> speechless for a podcast. So new world, that's like not, not good last. content. I'm speechless. <laughs> days of heaven. There's like something. No, I'll flip it. I'll flip it. Days of heaven four. new world. Five. Yay. All, right. All right. My number five, the new world. Oh, I did mine reverse. I know. Just but no this, is this, is is this is my fave. Okay. This is for all the worldsies out there. Number five, because I get to say it first. Love it. Number five is the new world. Mm -hmm. Number four is the thin red line. Wow. Number three is days of heaven. Mm -hmm. Number two, tree of life. Mm -hmm. Number one, badlands. We're almost there. And I think the thin red line is more fun for me because it's like celeb cameos, which aren't really cameos. They're like in the movies, but it's like, holy shit. It's another person. I sort of said... (laughs) It's fun. Yeah. Bunch, it's like, another it's like white a guy, drinking game. Like every time guy. you see a hot celebrity, like take a shot. Yeah. Is there like a alcohol that starts with the letter red? <laughs> then you could do that. No idea. I'm the wrong person to ask. Satan, if you're vegan. <laughs> um, I think that's it for us. That's so fun. Ranking. Yeah. We'll absolutely do that from now on. Tell us what Malik you've seen in the comments below. <laughs> no, for real. Like we um, absolutely. Engage with us on social media. 
Like us on uh, Instagram. We're putting up promos all the time. You'll see a lot more promos in the near future. Mm-hmm. Don't say why, but it'll be fun. I think that's it for us. I mean, what else do you want to... Let's not actually be like Malik and be concise for once. Love it. Thanks for listening. This has been a blast. We'll see you in two weeks. Oh, yeah. Bye! <laughs> <laughs>